What's up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. We are diving into Renew.org's track sessions from the most recent forum that we did, and today features Paul Hugebart and Shadonke Johnson. If you are somebody who is familiar with Discipleship.org at all, then you know the name Shadonke Johnson. If you don't, let me just introduce him briefly for you. He is an international disciple-making movement leader who has learned the importance of prayer as it relates to making disciples. He has intense stories of persecution and of God doing miracles and doing the impossible to save people that you would never have imagined coming to know Jesus. Incredible storyteller. I would encourage you to stop driving, pull over and get a notebook and take notes. This is a fantastic episode. Let's dive in and hear from Shidanke and Paul from Renew.org. Here they are. All right, we're, uh, we're going to get going. We've got permission to start since they started the recording, which is excellent. Um, glad to be here with you all this evening. Uh, how many of you are familiar first with Renew? If I could ask that question. Okay, so probably like a third of the room. That's great. So um, let me just tell you real quick, um, Renew is an organization. So Bobby Harrington, who you saw on stage with Shadonke earlier this evening, uh, Bobby runs Point for Discipleship.org and also this organization called Renew. Uh, at Renew, we really care about getting back to the teachings of Jesus. We care about Scripture, the Word of God, and we believe that it's there that we find our solid theological foundation, and we believe that that is what really fuels disciple-making in many ways. Now, of course, other things like relationship fuel disciple-making, the Holy Spirit fuels disciple-making, but we believe that Scripture, the foundation that we find in the Word of God, is essential if we're going to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples, okay, that we find everything we need in there. And so we really want to focus on good theology and then also really being a group that cares about discipleship and disciple making. So that's what we're about at Renew. Uh, would love for you guys to connect with us. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Renew, I'd like to, you know, have a conversation with you afterwards if you'd like. Um, if you want to Talk with Sudanke about the work that's going on in Sierra Leone. He loves to talk about that, and we'll definitely do that in, uh, in the next few minutes. Uh, let me begin with prayer, if I could. Uh, Father God, um, so thankful for the conversation that we're about to have, and it's one that, especially for us in the North American church, I believe is pivotal in this moment. God, for too long we've been um, self-reliant, dependent upon good strategy, good communication, sometimes the best worship band and smoke and lights and everything else to move the gospel when what we really need to do, Father, is become radically dependent upon you. We're going to see disciples who make disciples who make disciples. There's no other way. And so, Father, I pray as we engage this conversation this evening that, God, your Holy Spirit, even in this moment, would be at work convicting us, challenging us, whispering to us with a still small voice if that's what we need. But God, I pray that through conversations like this that are happening all around North America, the United States, that you would take a spark and fan it to a flame. And that as my brother Shadanke has prayed and thousands in Sierra Leone are even praying for us now, that we would see movement in the United States. That we would see everyday ordinary disciples through your power at work doing extraordinary things 
the extraordinary and the beautiful thing of disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's what we pray, God. That's what we want to see in your name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Well, again, thanks for being here uh, this evening. I, I probably don't need to introduce you to this guy. He's, you've already seen him. Um, I'm Paul Hubert. Again, I work with Renew. Um, I'm a special project team lead with Renew. With uh, What I'm doing right now in that capacity is working with about 25 North American churches as we are trying to take our legacy and attractional churches. Does that make sense? Do you understand that verbiage? Okay, so attractional is just all about come and see what we do here for the most part, right? When really what Jesus told us to do is go and be. Okay, so we want to take our come and see churches and make them also go and be churches. We believe that there's still reason to, to have a good gathering and to bring people in. And there are people still coming to know Jesus that way. And that's great. But we believe that the real thing is when we send people out into the world and they make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so we've got about 25 churches right now, including this one where we are here. Traders Point uh, is the largest church that's on board with us, roughly 15,000 folks. Uh, who are here and they're trying to work through this transition here at this church. That's excellent. We've got churches all the way down to about a, you know, roughly 500 in size, um, also trying to make that transition to say, how can we see movement develop out of our churches? And maybe we won't be at the heart of movement, but maybe we can help to catalyze movement. And so uh, part of the conversation that we're going to have, if you're going to follow this track over the next two days, uh, conversation tonight with Shadanke, tomorrow will be uh, in this same room with Curtis Sargent at 9 a.m. At some point in time during the day tomorrow, we'll be here with Josh Howard as well. Uh, Josh Howard is a guy who is helping to catalyze movement through an organization called Ignite in, uh, in India. And then we're going to have all three of these guys at the end of the day tomorrow together, and I'll be able to facilitate a discussion uh, between the three of them as we learn what movement looks like over there and maybe some things that we can take and apply here so that maybe... We can see the precursors or set the stage for God moving here in the way that he's moving over there, which is our prayer. So tonight, what we're going to talk about, again, Shadanke, is this idea of uh, radical dependence upon God as opposed to self-reliance. But before we do that, because I don't want to assume that everybody in here knows your story, um, I'll ask you if you could, again, we did this earlier today, just give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of how you came to be in the place you are today as it relates to being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. All right. Let me, let me give a super, super summary. <laughs> um, my father was a, my father, he passed away a few years ago, but my father is a Creole by tribe, which simply means he comes from the generation of the returned slaves. And so he, in, in Sierra Leone, our city, one of the major cities called Freetown, which means it was a place that was bought for the returned slaves. You know, who had all these great aspirations that they're going back to Africa somewhere to build a new nation. And so Freetown was one of the places they bought for them. That's why it's called Freetown. That means whoever steps there, you are free. Um, so my father comes from that background. But my father was a builder and uh, he traveled. It's very interesting in Sierra Leone. Uh, when Freetown was bought, it was bought for the free slaves. But they had the indigenous people who were living in the protectorate. So you had the Crown Colony, which was Freetown, and then you had the protectorate, which was the rest of the country. So at some point in our history, if you wanted to move from the Crown Colony to the protectorate, you needed like a pass in the same country. 
to move. So, but my father, because he was a builder, he, he traveled to the protectorate doing some building. And while he was there, he met my mom. My mom is a Shabro from the islands. They live along the Atlantic. So that's how my dad met my mom. But my mom comes from a Muslim background. So when my father went there and saw my mom, he fell in love. And even though my mom was a Muslim, but my father kept on coming. They said, no, we will not give our daughter to you to be married because you're a Christian. But my father could not take no for an answer. So he kept on coming. And finally, they said, okay, we'll give our daughter to you to be married on one condition, that you will never convert our daughter to become a Christian. My father agreed. He was so much in love. He said, okay, no problem. And so we grew up literally in a home where my mom would pray five times a day. And we grew up, we would go to church, to the Methodist church. We grew up going to church. My father was very strict on the Sabbath day. His own definition of the Sabbath day was very different. On the Sabbath day, we did all our laundry, all the ironing on Saturday. On Sunday, the only thing we did was we'd get, get breakfast in the morning and we'd go to church. When we come back from church, we eat and we sleep for the rest of the day. <laughs> so on Sunday, nothing moves in our home. Our home, not even the dogs understood the Sabbath because they were not back on the Sabbath day. So that's my own father. That was his definition. But he was very committed to God. He was very godly. He loved God. He was, he was very instrumental in his church. But my mom went to the mocks. He would pray five times a day. So while we were going to church, we, nobody competed with us with the front, front pew. We are always in church, right? There are times we are in church before the janitor. <clears throat> so we always sit on the front pew. So when we sit, my dad could always sit at the, our back and he would tell you, when you're in church, you listen to God and you look the pastor. Look, watch the pastor. So we we'll sit in front. If you want to turn your head like that, I'll just say, watch the pastor. <laughs> so, so anytime they are giving communion, they give communion in church. When I go back home on Monday, I will ask my mom to give me some bread. And I will get this communion bread. And I will call all the kids in the neighborhood. And I would do exactly what the pastor was doing. I would just give them bread. My mom had no idea what I was doing. So one day my mom asked my dad, I see your son giving bread to children. What does that mean? My father tried to figure it out. He said, well, maybe it's communion. So I normally tell people, I started giving communion long before I was ordained. <laughs> so that's the background. But went to, I went to Christian school. And, um, but I had an encounter with the scripture union. You know, and the scripture, you know, it's like a Bible study group in the school I went to. I went to a government school, which was all boys, and we were all in the bedroom. And that's where I started having an encounter and the love for God. My, my dad wanted me to become a lawyer or an economist. Because for most of the crews, you were either medical doctors, lawyers, economists, or accountants. So even in Sierra Leone, you go back, it's all, those are the fields you find the crews. So, but um, this passion for the loss started to grow in my heart. Until one day I was invited to a church, which was not part of our own church. That was my first time outside of my own church. And there was a guy who was invited to preach. His name is Claude Gray. And he was preaching about the lost tribes in the country. He kind of cataloged all of them. And I was so touched. Something just moved me. At the end of his preaching, he said, is there anybody here who wants to be trained and coach?" to become a short-term missionary among the tribes in the north. At that time, the northern part of Sierra Leone was 99.9% Muslims. And they were difficult tribes. 
And I was so moved, and I put my hands up. I never knew he would say, stand up and come in front. And then he said, stand up, come in front. When I came in front, I was the only one. And I said to myself, what have I done to myself? <laughs> but that was how my journey started. He prayed for me. He became my coach and, you know, took me through some mission classes. And I went, I told my mom, I said, I've made a commitment to go to the north. My mom said, how are you going to tell your dad? I said, well, mom, I want you to tell my dad. <laughs> That's your own work. Tell my dad. But at the end of the day, my mom was able to talk to my father. And my father let me go to the north. My intention was to go for a few weeks. I stayed for six years. I fell in love with the tribes that were there. I realized that we are lost. And I just had a passion to help. So I referred to myself as accidental missionary. I never intended to be a missionary, but that's how I became a missionary. But while I was there, the Lord used that obedience faithfully by touching so many lives in the north. So I saw so many Muslims. That's why most of my work is among Muslim or rich people groups and African traditional religionists. I've seen more Muslims say, come to the Lord, radical Muslims. I cannot say that in the main stage because, you know, to avoid, but I've seen the most unlikely Muslims. In fact, 75% of our movements are all former Muslims. Even this month, this Ramadan month, we had a whole time of prayer and fasting for them. 80, before I left the country, 80 of them, adults, could not finish the Ramadan. Either through dreams or some miracles and encounter with God, they gave their life to Jesus. 80. So we see, literally, we see every day, we see two or three Muslim families saved. So that is, that is my journey. That is my testimony. And one of my first assignments was to reach out to my mom. So I started to talk to my mom about Jesus. Because it was my father who made the commitment. I did not make the commitment. So, so my mom gave her life to Jesus. My mom never went to school. And she said, what can I do? Because, you know, the Christian. So I coached my mom how to pray. And I coached her how to make disciples. And my mom started gradually. My mom knows more memory verse in the local language than any other person I know. And my mom has brought more Muslim women to the faith than any other person I know, woman I know. Out of the 365 days, my mom will fast for 200 days. <clears throat> And my mom is currently about 87 years old. But she's strong. She can walk. She can fast. As I'm speaking right now, they are fasting and praying. My mom leads this big prayer movement. She has coached so many people who are educated, made disciples who've gone to plant churches. My mom is still involved in planting churches. So that is the story. And fortunately, out of her whole lineage, the last family member who was still a Muslim was baptized two years ago. She was 80 years of age when she was baptized. And we have planted churches in our hometown in the island. We planted, in fact, this year, part of our focus is to plant churches in all the islands, every village in the island. Because I gave her a promise that we'll make sure there's a church in every island village before she goes home, before the Lord calls her home. So that is a summary, super summary of, you know, my, my testimony. That's how I met the Lord. And since that time, I gave my life to serving the Lord. And I have seen how much God has moved. 
Because I'm on the main stage, there are things I will not say on the main stage. But virtually, we have been able to train all the people in the army in our country, all the military, train, coach. And the army is planting churches. They are planting more than 50 churches. The police are planting churches. The fire force are planting churches. Those in the, the correctional center, the prison officers are planting churches. We have soccer players and coaches who are involved in planting churches. We have medical people. I mean, every area has been influenced with the gospel. And I started going to the state house. I'll state, like you see, White House. I've trained most of the people around the president. You know, don't discovery Bible study with them. They do it now. And almost every Monday, I do discovery Bible study with my president. So my president, he fasts once a week now. He will fast. Every Wednesday he's fasting. And he spends time in the world. He's also doing discovery Bible study. He has taken it to his family, doing discovery Bible studies, his family. And he's introduced, he's introduced me to two presidents in the sub-region. So that is what God has done. It is not my story. It is his story. I am just telling the story. And the story of so many people that God has touched. You know, we, part of our slogan is that high impact, low visibility. We want God to be seen, not us. And therefore, we tell our disciples, don't touch his glory. Every glory belongs to God. Every honor belongs to him and every praise. So that is a super summary of my journey with the Lord and what God has done. And it's, I want people to know that it's not only Sierra Leone now. We're in 16 countries outside of Sierra Leone. We're in the north of Nigeria. We're working among three of the most difficult tribes in the north of Nigeria. The Kanuri tribe, the Hausa, and the Fulani tribe. And we have, I was in Nigeria in February, training more of the people from those tribes. We built a school in, among the Fulani. They just sent a picture yesterday. There was a heavy storm and it brought all the building down. Training, and these people are killing. These are the people killing in the north of Nigeria. In March, they killed 80 Christians. Slaughtered 80 of them. I mean, they are really killing Christians. And pushing them out of their villages. And they are occupying those villages. But we are not stopping. And we've seen that, we have seen God moving in, in northern Nigeria, in Ghana, in Togo, you know, in Gambia, you know, in Senegal. All of these difficult countries, in Chad, in Niger. We are seeing God moving in a new way, in a mighty way. We are seeing the most unlikely people being saved. People that would never had come to know Jesus. So that's why we say it is God's story. It is really God. And we are just making ourselves available, you know, for what God is doing. And, you know, when we end, I will say something, but I want us to end. So, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's my short testimony. So, so what I love every time I hear Shadanke share some of that story is just watching your eyes as you're receiving these words because some of the stories that he shares just in this basic snapshot are amazing, right? I mean, I heard amazing, awesome, praise God, other things that you all said as, as Shadanke is sharing this story. And, and so Shadanke, what I want to ask you out of that is this, um, give us just at, at a basic level, Help us understand why, with what the work that you're seeing happening in Sierra Leone, but also for the work that could happen here, why reliance upon the Holy Spirit is so important, why we cannot do it by being self-reliant, just at a very basic level, and then we'll come dig into some other things. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to be very clear to us is that Jesus told his disciples in Acts 
When you read Acts 1, you read from verse 7 to verse 8. He made it very clear to them. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses. We all know if you go back to the Greek, the original <coughs> language. Not that he was saying to them, you are not qualified to be my witness until you receive power. It is the Holy Spirit that will give you the power. You know, it is my word that is going to be inside of you. It is my presence inside of you. I was working with you physically, but now I will live inside of you. And so you need it because you cannot face the world. You cannot face the challenges mm -hmm. of the world without me. You know, he told them in John chapter 15 that you can do nothing without me. And that was confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So that's why we, we depend on the Holy Spirit. And as I said, there are villages and towns and cities and nations that have been opened up for the gospel. Honestly, even in my own mind, if anybody had told me that this would happen, I would not believe. For example, we have one of the tribes in the south. For 50 years, people have tried to go to those communities. They refused. They said, we don't want anything to do with Christianity. We don't want anything to do with Jesus. <clears throat> now, we started praying for them. We were praying, God, do something. And all of a sudden, they started having some medical challenges among the tribes. And one day I was praying, and the Lord, it was all over the news that they're having this medical challenge. And I was praying, and the Lord drew my attention. He said, this is the time. Get your guys ready, and this is the time. So I went to the medical superintendent of the district, and I said, this problem is happening. And I have some medical guys who want to go in there and help. And they said, great. So we bought medicines and got our medical team, and we went in there. Through that medical outreach that we made, we started creating relationship with the people. You know, it's very interesting. I know culturally, I don't even know how to put it, but we were able, this is a tribe that did not circumcise their men until they were adults. Yeah, because it's part of their own traditional rituals. And because of this, all those who had this problem were having some medical issues. We did not know what the problem was. But we went in there and we circumcised 400 men. And out of that circumcision, we became friends. Why the healing was happening? It was the best time. To, I mean, God is a God of humor. Why these guys were going through healing? We are telling them the story. And they could not move, so they would follow us around. <laughs> you see, God is a God of humor. God used that to touch their hearts. And they opened up for the gospel. Today, we've planted more than 30 churches among the tribe. They become followers of Jesus. But, you know, imagine, for more than 50 years, the whole place was closed down. And then there was this problem. And how could you use circumcision as a way to bring the gospel? It's only God, it's, God, can, it's only God who can do that. So, you know, some of these things, another community we went to, they also had this strong resistance to the gospel. But they were having challenge. Their kids, they did not have any senior, junior secondary school. They had a primary school, but no junior secondary school or senior secondary school. And they had this challenge. They would send their kids to, to Bo, which was miles away from their town. And their children were finding difficulty in staying in, in the homes of relatives. And just by discussing with the chief, like the king of that tribe, I got to know the problem. And I said, we want to help. Can you provide a place where we can start the school? 
They say, oh, we have one unfinished building. We went in there, we finished the building, brought in some decks, and, and I brought some teachers, qualified teachers, but they are also qualified church planters and disciple makers. <laughs> they came, they stayed with them, they gave them a place, and that's how we started the school. And out of that school, we started teaching the kids, started teaching them memory verses. And they will go back home and they will memorize the scripture and they are quoting scripture. Their parents hear them speaking English and they are happy that their kids are speaking English. <laughs> and eventually today, we have a senior secondary school also in this place. One day, the chief just sent his, my, my, my teachers. He said, I want to see your, your leader. Go and call him. So when they came, I said, what have you done? They said, we don't know. He just wants to see you. So we went to the village. When we got to the village, I mean, it was in a festive mood. So I'm thinking, what's happened? We got there, and the chief in the local, what we call barre, is like a community center. And there were all these people dressed well, and the chief stood up. And the chief said, our great ancestors told us, they took an oath and they passed a course, that anybody in, our, in this tribe that will become a follower of Jesus will not live to see the sunlight. He said, but what God, what you people have done with our children, with this school, because of that, it was a chief in our ancestral line that made that pronouncement. So I stand upon that authority today as a chief of this tribe. I am saying from today, nobody will have a cause and nobody will be affected. Nobody will touch anyone. Anybody who wants to follow Jesus, you are free to follow Jesus. For a secondary school. <clears throat> and that's how the village opened up. This whole chiefdom. Now we are planting churches in that whole chiefdom. And some of the people that the people that have gone to the school train, now they have become also begin to train <coughs> disciples. So the thing here I'm saying is that when we depend on the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. we totally depend on Him. And we, like a baby, we say we don't know anything. God is all about you, not about us. Mm -hmm. God goes ahead of us. Because as I said, disciple-making movement is a divine partnership. <coughs> Our own part and God's own part. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. So we will do the planting and the watering. He will bring the increase. So we have to depend on him if we want to see the increase. So that's why we depend on him. I mean, I, I depend completely, even with resources. We will make a faith budget. Every year we do a faith budget. <laughs> we do it by faith, and all our leaders know it's a faith budget. And we say, God, this is your work. You will do it in your own way. And we trust God, and we begin to work. And the Lord begins to supply. So we have seen God show up. At a time when we needed him. Every moment, every time. Because we depend on him. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. You know, you can be as intellectual as you can. You can have all the PAGs. I refer to some of those PAGs as permanent head damage. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's, it just confuses your brain. All the more, <laughs> you know. But the fact here is that when you depend on the Holy Spirit, 
Even if you know everything, you depend on him. Like a baby, the Lord takes you through. And he, he makes a way for you where there's no way. And so that's why for us, we depend on the Holy Spirit in so many situations. And we, I will tell you testimony after testimony of how God has shown up. There was another community we went to. We went to I went to visit after we have prayed. And the people saw me, one or two knew me, and they said, oh, we know you people want to bring church here. I mean, they surrounded me. And they were pushing my head. There will be no church in this community. There will be no church. If one of the men said, he said, as long as he's alive, no church will come to this community. I mean, that's how serious. That's why I tell people if you are going to Pasadena, I just stood there with my hands folded. I did not say a word. They were pushing me. I did not say a word. I went back. We kept on praying for them. The summary is today. I literally, all those guys who were opposing, pushing, including the guy who was pushing my head, became a follower of Jesus. His family became a, a part of the church today. Why? We just took everything to God in prayer. There are times we literally take names of families that are becoming a, a, a stumbling block, a challenge to the gospel. And we, we begin to pray for them. <clears throat> And we have seen God touch them, change them in a miraculous way. I'll give you another testimony of another neighbor. I had a neighbor. He was just a fanatic Muslim. Fanatic. And um, this man, he was my close neighbor. And so every morning I have this, I would go around to my neighbor, say hello, good morning, and all of that. That's the way we create relationship. But he was another guy who hated me. Just because he realized I was a Christian. Nothing else. You know, including the testimony that I shared. He also will not answer me. I mean, even if I greet him 10 times a day, he will not answer. If he sees me coming this way, he will go this other direction. <laughs> so what I did was that I befriended, he had two boys. So I befriended them through soccer. So they would come for a soccer and they would hide, we all play soccer. And eventually... The boys started to hear the story of Jesus. And they gave their life to Jesus. And we baptized them. But we told them, your dad should not know about this. So what they would do on Sundays, if they want to go to church, they would dress like they are going to play soccer with their soccer ball in their hands. You know, and then they would go around and go and join the fellowship. So one day we were praying for him. One day they came and they said, our dad is really sick. He's seriously sick. I said, why? Take him to the hospital. They said, <clears throat> we don't have money. And there's no money at home. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, this is the time. You have been praying. This is an opportunity time. So I went to the house. He was really sick. For the very first time, I greeted him. He answered. I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. I'm just sick. I said, what? why can't you go to the hospital? He said, I don't have money. I said, okay. I went, I took the car and I put him in the vehicle. He and his wife and his kid went to the hospital. I paid all the bills. And then I gave money to his wife. I said, go back home and prepare some nice soup because from the hospital, we know he will eat. And so the wife came back home, prepared some. When we finished, I brought him back to the house. I did not dedicate 
that responsibility. I did it myself because I saw it as a platform to bring the gospel to him through love. We came back home. I was there. He took all his medicines. He ate some soup. And then I said, please, I don't know whether you, you allow me to pray for you. Shut me. He said, okay. So I prayed for him and I left. I came back the other day in the morning. I got there and I'm, he was seated on his bed and I said, how did you sleep? He said, I'm, it's, it's, I'm getting a little bit better. I said, that's good. And I said, do you need anything? And we brought more provision. And while I was leaving, he said, are you not going to pray today? He said, that prayer yesterday was very powerful. <laughs> now, I, I, in, I pretended I did not want to pray the second time. But he asked for it, and I prayed. And any time I would come, I would pray. He would not ask me, let us pray. I, when he got well, after about two months, he sent to call me. He said, you know what? I have observed you. I have observed your life. I think I want what you have. He said, I want to be, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Will you help me? I said, yes. So that's how he was also baptized. I discipled him. And today, he's a follower. His entire family is saved. He's a follower of Jesus. Mm. But you cannot do this in your own strength. God will open the door because the Bible makes this very clear. When he opens the door, nobody closes it. But when he closes the door, nobody opens. <clears throat> so we always pray to him, depending on him. Father, go ahead of us and open the door. Because when you open, nobody's going to close that door. Mm -hmm. So when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we have seen people from prison being disciples, baptized. When they leave the prison, they just find where the church is. And we coach them more and they become uh, disciple makers. Several. Some of them who are even on life, um, they've sentenced them for life. They are making disciples in prison. But you have to depend on the Holy Spirit. We are working currently among, I think, 89 tribes. Some of those tribes have a population like 3 million, 2 million. The largest is the Fulani tribe, more than 16 million. But we are taking this gospel to them and we are seeing people, the most unlikely people, which doctors who have all the powers. For example, I'll also give you another tribe that the Lord we are focusing. Among the Timini tribe, the Timini tribe is the second largest tribe in our country. Among the Timini tribe, they have a, a, a stream of Timinis, you know, which are involved in the occultic very seriously. They call them the Yoni Timini. I mean, these people, they don't hide it. They, they perform openly. They show the power of darkness openly. Like you would do any, like any street evangelism. They show their powers. They mutilate themselves with knife. And blood will be oozing out of them. They are dancing. I mean, they, it's horrible the things they do to themselves. Just to show the power of darkness. They will take a knife, cut their ears. Put it on the train, they're dancing. You see the blood oozing. They will take a knife, pass it in, through their stomach. I mean, this is a real thing. Mm. Now, when you see people like that and God says, go to them, 
and bring the gospel. You have to think twice. <coughs> so among the Yoni family, in our prayer meetings, because when we put all the stripes, there are times where we are praying, the Lord will just say, somebody will get to say, the Lord is asking us to go to the Yoni family. I remember when the Lord said that, I said, God, do you mean the Yoni Timini? <laughs> and he was confirmed that we should go there. <clears throat> we went into prayer and fasting because we know the people we are dealing with. And we said, God, if you want us to go, go ahead of us. You open the doors. You touch the hearts. Break all the powers and the principalities. One of the first church planters that went there, he got sick and he died. We buried him there because that is his hometown. I want you to know, up to date, we buried him and his corpse was removed from the grave. We reported to the police, up to this date, we never saw the body again. That's how that, that community was. <clears throat> but I will tell you, we trained church planters. I went there several times myself and I started to see how God started to move among the very people who were using cutting their bodies, how they were responding to simple stories of the Bible, how they were touched. Some of them will weep like small children, giving their lives, bringing all their talisman, all of the things they have used. One of the young men, they have a, a clothing that he will use when he's performing, like a, like a shirt, but that clothes has lasted for four generations. He brought everything. Today, as I speak to you, most of those guys are followers of Jesus. We've planted more than 70 churches among the unity many people. And I was there a few weeks ago. I went to visit them. And God is doing more, more testimonies of people. And they themselves stand up and say, the light has come to our community, to our tribe. You have to depend on the Holy Spirit for a thing like this to happen. You can't depend on the flesh. It is the power of God. So we totally depend on the Holy Spirit for everything. I depend on him for everything. For my family, for my personal life, for the ministry, for raising leaders. I just depend on him. Jesus says to his disciples, he said, lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But pray to the Lord of the harvest. That he will send forth laborers. He did not say you go and look for them. He said you ask me. I will send them forth. And when we ask the Lord in the spirit. To send forth the laborers. He will give us laborers. But the problem is that. He will give us laborers that maybe we don't like. <laughs> and that. You know laborers that we are. Is not the kind of laborers that fit our description of people who are qualified. He will bring people like Saul. As a laborer. And you look at them and say no no. By your background, I don't think you're supposed to be here. But that, when the Lord chooses laborers and brings them, he knows exactly what he's bringing. But because we depend on our knowledge, we have all these criteria that we set for the laborers. And we don't ask him. And now when we begin to get stuck, we want to go to him. And he said, well, you did not ask me in the first place. So we have seen so many of these things happen. I'll give you another illustration. One day we are having, we normally have, every month we have a whole night prayer. A whole night prayer, we start to pray from, from 10 to 6 in the morning. 
We do that once a month. From 10 at night to 6 in the morning. And you'll be surprised in all the places where we pray. Each of our whole night prayer in different places. You have more than 10,000, 15,000 people show up. Pray. And then we have half night prayer. Half night prayer will start from 8 to 12 midnight. We do it also once a month. Now we were doing a whole night prayer and we were praying. And at that time, I was, my house was very close to the church, one of the churches we planted. And while we are praying, right about three in the morning, we are praying. I started feeling this impression. Go to the house and check. Go back to the house. And I'm struggling in my heart. I said, no, but I have my keys here. I, I, I locked the door and the keys in my pocket. I don't need to go back to the house. But I still was struggling. Go back to the house. Go back. So finally, about 3.30, I could not. I said, okay, let me go and check. I went to the house. My doors were widely open. And I had the keys in my pocket. So I'm thinking, did I forget to close the door? When I got into the house, there was this, there was this guy. There was a shadow of somebody moving. And he was a thief. While we were praying, somehow he came and used some tools and opened the door. So he had already packed some things while we were praying. We are looking to heaven. He's looking down on earth. <laughs> Packing. And I said, who is that? He said, it's me. I said, who are you? You know, in, in the Creole, Wudat, now Wudat, that's Creole, now Wudat. And he said, now me, now me means it's me. And then I asked, Wudat, now you, who are you? He said, now me. He was very confident. And then I realized he's a thief. So we called the other guys, they came and we grabbed him. You know, if you know, it's not like here. You will call the police first. No, we, we go there, we are the police for ourselves. <laughs> Because the police don't have the luxury of having the cars to come. So we just, so we, we brought him. People said, what are we going to do? I said, let's bring him to the prayer house so that we'll pray together. So we brought this thief into the prayer house. We said, I said, sit down here. We are going to pray. We are going to pray till morning. So he sat down there and he's watching us. I told the guy, close the door while we are praying so that he will not find a way to go. So while we are praying, I had this very frisky young guys who are now, you know, part of the leaders in the movement. You know, they will come when I'm not watching them. They'll come very close to the thief and they'll give him some kick. <laughs> I realized they wanted to really beat him up. <laughs> so by 5.30 in the morning, I took him and I took him to my room. I said, sit down here. I locked the door. Went back. When we finished the prayer time, everybody went back home. I made a very nice breakfast for him. And I gave him to eat. After another two hours, I said, let me, I want to go accompany you to your house. So I followed him to his house. He was staying two streets away from my own street. I went, we met his wife and two children. I sat down in the house and I saw abject poverty. I looked at the fireplace. I realized that there had been no fire here for days. So I took some money out of my pocket and I gave it to the wife to buy a bag of rice and some condiments. And he accompanied me back and he introduced me to his wife as his friend. But we never explained where we met. <laughs> so I never said anything to his wife. So we, I kept on coming. We helped them, brought some new clothes for his wife and his children and also bought some new clothes for him. And he started coming to the church. Started going to the discipleship group. And he was baptized. His wife was baptized. 
Up to now, his wife didn't know anything. The wife did not have any idea how we met. And we decided that that would be the best secret in town. We just keep it. Everybody in the church could not even recognize him. And he went through all our discipleship program. And then he told me he wants to go to the east to do some diamond business. I said, okay. So I prayed for him, helping with transportation. He went to the east. Six months after, he wrote me a letter. He said, even though I've come to the east to do diamond business, he said, I've been thinking about you and the love he showed to me. I do not deserve that love. I want to be a pastor like you. Can you help me? So that's how he came back. And he went through our Bible school. And he became a pastor. And he went back to the east and planted churches there. Today he has one of the largest churches in the east. And one, he had the Thanksgiving service, so he invited me. The entire church knows that, you know, they call him, he's old as his father. So one day he told me, I want you to tell the whole church how we met. <laughs> I said, okay. So I told the whole church. I mean, you can imagine, people were crying. <clears throat> For the first time, his wife knew how we met. But you know, the testimony was that because of what he has learned from me in the coaching, he has given away to his, to his disciples so much. And he stood up and said, everything I've been doing, I learned from this man. And he's one of our leading church planters in the East today. But how could God allow somebody who's a thief to get in contact with us? And God using him to become a disciple maker <clears throat> who made disciples, who made disciples. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit. When we depend completely on the Holy Spirit, he does things that no man can do. So that is why I say to the church in the United States, I know you have all the intellectual powers. You have the resources. You have everything. But I want to beg you, go back to the elementary school of depending on the Holy Spirit. This is God's business. If it is his business, let's do it his own way. Let's do it his own way. We have brought too much of the corporate mind into the church. And we have ignored the basic fundamental principles and that is why we're where we are today. But I want to encourage you. If we go back to the Holy Spirit and depend on him. And pray and search his word. And tell the Lord I can do nothing apart from you. He will go ahead of us. He will bring fruitfulness in a way that we've never seen it before. Even the things we see today that is difficult. Oh, everybody's individualistic. Oh, nobody wants to hear the gospel. You'll be surprised what God can do. Because the heart of the king lies in the hands of God. And like a river, he can sway it in every direction. We have seen, I have paramount chiefs. Traditional paramount chiefs. Kings who control tribes. Who have become followers of Jesus. In fact, our prayer village, a prayer mountain that we're just walking on right now. A paramount chief. She's a female paramount chief who believe in voodoo. 
all her life. Through prayer, she surrendered her life to Jesus. And she just gave us 40 acres of land. He said, use it as a prayer mountain. He said, I want everybody in my clan, every one of them to be saved. Like what the opportunity God has given. We've already done the roads. We've done the bridge, getting to the mountain. And people have started going there to pray. Our goal is that we will be able to attract up to 50 or 100,000 people just praying. Just praying. Praying for people around the world. Praying for movement. Praying for the move of God. What happened in the book of Acts, we believe it can happen over and over again. If we go back to God and say, God, we know nothing. We just depend on you. And that is where the church needs to come. It's a baby-like faith. Like a baby. Just begin to take the first steps again. Begin to take the first steps. And the Lord loves it. And he will do the rest. Shadank, in, in the last 15 minutes or so, uh, one of the things that you impressed upon several of us as we were getting to uh, spend some time with you five or six years ago that really has made a difference in some of the churches in which we engage is, and you've talked about the role of prayer some, but what about if we take prayer in this idea of fasting and we combine these things together, what role does that play in our reliance upon God? Talk about how that maybe plays a role in your movement in particular. You know, I... I... One of the things that really moved me with prayer and fasting is when I started reading the scripture, and the thing that really struck me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, in Luke 4, 1 and 2, the Bible says he was led into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted by the devil. <laughs> but when you go back to John chapter 1, he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And there was nothing that was made that was made through him, because he was there in the beginning. And I said, wait a minute. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then when you read down that verse, he said, but the word became flesh and dwelt among men. And now in Matthew, he said, but he went into the wilderness. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> and he was hungry. So he's not flesh. But he did not start his ministry. Until he has gone and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Even after the fasting, the devil still showed up. But he was able to use the word. To come against the temptations of the devil. And then I started to look at the progressive life of Jesus. Luke Gospel records so many times and he went out to pray as it was his daily habit and he went out to pray. Everything that Jesus did was grounded in prayer. Everything. He would pray. When Jesus, he would go out early in the morning to pray. That was his daily business. But not only that, even when he wanted to, to perform the miracle of the 5,000 loaves or the 4,000 loaves, he lifted it to God and prayed first. The transition between his prayer time and bringing the bread down, the miracle happened. Within that short transition. <clears throat> Jesus prayed so much, as I was saying, his disciples look at his life and they said, Master, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they saw his prayer model. It was different from what they knew. 
This guy was so Jewish guys. They know they have been seen prayer, but what the way they saw him, this man praying, it was different. He prayed so much that even when his friend died, Lazarus, he prayed before he called Lazarus to come out of the grave. He would have just gone there arrogantly and said, Hey, Lazarus, come out. But he prayed. Now, also, when we fast forward, the first word of Jesus on the cross was prayer. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. His last word on the cross was prayer. Even in the time of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. Three times we would go and pray. If Jesus could pray like that, what about me? The Bible refers to me as a man of abomination. I sleep and I wake up in abomination. Why should I not pray? And that was what I said, if Jesus could pray like that, I have to pray. If I have to follow this Jesus, then I have to follow his lifestyle. And that's how we started cultivating this whole culture of prayer. One step at a time. One step at a time. Started to coach my disciples. Every disciple that has gone through my hand will know that. The first thing we tell you is that we pray. We fast. Because prayer and fasting has a place. You are showing when we pray and fast, it's not because we want to impress God. None of us can impress him. He knows everything about us. In Psalm 139, you know, King David said, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from you? You know everything. If I say darkness cover me, that darkness can be light to you. If I take the morning wings and fly above, even there your hand will reach me. If I go down to Shiloh, you can reach me out there. Yes, we can't hide from you. But as we pray and fast, what we are saying in essence is that, Lord, I come before you. And I bring myself before you. I lay my flesh and my body down. Fully knowing, I want you to take all the honor and the glory. It's about you. Prayer and fasting is a way we break before God and tell Him we depend on you. We draw from your power. The source comes from you. That's what we are telling Him when we pray and fast. And when the Lord sees that, the Lord will respond. That's why when Nineveh prayed and fasted, the Lord relented. And Jonah was, Jonah was annoyed. But when we go to God in prayer and fasting, God will always show. So it is a way. So that's why we made it a culture. We made it a DNA. Today, there are people praying and fasting all throughout the movement. We've also raised partners who are doing it. All over the place. Every place I've gone, all around the world where I have disciples. They are praying, they are fasting. And everyone will tell you how God has used that as a platform. Most of the guys who are leading movements today, most of them, by the grace of God, went through my hands. I coached them, I discipled them, and released them. And they are leading movements in different parts of the world. But one of the basic things is that the prayer and fast, because you are depending on God. The Bible makes it very clear. That we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting principalities and powers. <clears throat> we are fighting spiritual hosts of wickedness, authorities in higher places. This is an invisible warfare. 
We cannot see them. And we need these weapons that have been provided by God. And the weapons, the word of God, the prayer, the name of Jesus. We have to use them constantly in this warfare. So prayer helps us to get to that place. And you know, there's no small prayer. Even if it is one word you are saying in faith. Because the Bible says, a fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So whether you are going to start in five minutes praying, start with three hours of fasting, the God who sees your heart, that you mean it, you want to start, that God will hear your prayer. So that is why we encourage people. We have built this prayer culture all around in offices, in places, in the army. People are praying. As I say, even my president is now fasting once a week. <clears throat> because it is just essential. It is critical to the move of God. It is critical to the move of God. Because we are submitting. You see, three things have to submit. If we have to see a powerful move, three things have to submit in prayer. The first thing I need to submit is that the disciple maker himself had to submit. You know, if you are not submitted to God, you cannot raise people who are submitted to God. So the disciple maker, the leader, your heart has to submit. There are times out of frustration. We are frustrated with the work. We are frustrated with what is happening. And we want to, we just want to, Maybe squeeze the people. <laughs> you, we just want to do something. There are times we even use very tough words because of our own frustration. But let me tell you, God is not working on your own timeline. God is working on his own timeline. He said, my ways are not your ways. Neither my thoughts, your thoughts. But because we are living in what Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, called the Jet Set Age. Everything is moving fast. We want things to happen like that, so that we can write in our books that this is what happened. The Lord said, no, 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 slow down, my man. I am in charge, you are not in charge. So that's what prayer and fasting said. He is in charge, we are not in charge. So we flow with him. So the disciple maker needs to submit. Your heart needs to submit to God. The second thing is that the disciple needs to submit. So when we are praying, we are praying, God, let the heart of disciples make us submit to you. We also pray that the disciples themselves will submit to you. Their hearts will submit to you. Because the heavy weight, the heavy lifting is done by him. He does the heavy lifting. And the last thing that needs to submit is the spirit. The spirit needs to submit. And through prayer, prayer is this catalyst that prayer and fasting helps to, to bring these three things into submission. My own heart as a disciple maker, or your own heart, the disciples themselves, their heart, and the spirit. Because I will tell you, there are times you can use all these strategies you know, and the heart of man is dark and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says. Say, who can know it? So, if that heart has to submit, some people are controlled by, we have the stronghold. We have what we call ideological stronghold. This, the ideology of evolution. 
All of these things are holding people bound. Those are strongholds in the minds of people. And they can only submit, they can only be broken through prayer and fasting and by the power of God. But we also have territorial strongholds. Every territory has its own stronghold. Like what is happening in America. People want to explain it. It is, you know, is the modern age and all of this. Brothers and sisters, I know. But I want to tell you, this is a territorial spirit. It's a territorial spirit. There are a lot of things that is happening here. It's not happening in other areas of the world. And there is all this thing about this gender and all this. It's a territorial spirit. Yes, while we are trying to talk about it, let us go down on our knees and ask the Lord that the Lord will turn it upside down. It's a territorial spirit that needs to be broken. The Bible says if two or three of you agree in prayer, touching anything, it will be done. It's a territorial spirit. If every true follower of Jesus in this nation decide that, you know, we are going to use two weeks in one of the months and just pray that God will turn this around and they do it faithfully, I'm telling you, when you finish praying and fasting, you begin to thank the Lord, sit back and see what God will do. It's a territorial spirit. And then we have what we call personal strongholds. Issues, beliefs that we have that is not in line with scripture. Things that we have that is holding our own lives, our own unbeliefs, our doubts, our fears. These are all personal strongholds. And all the spirit need to submit to God. They need to be broken. We need to break those powers. Even in the church, there are personal strongholds that people have. These things have to be broken. While we are teaching the word of God, while we are coaching the word of God, while we are making disciples, we pray that these three things have to submit. When they submit to God, we begin to see the move of God. And we begin to see transformation. So those three things need to submit. And they can only submit in prayer and in fasting. I have seen wicked people, very serious people who are so bad. I, you know, I've shared my story about being arrested and what God did. And this commander, he's still alive. He was a notorious commander. I mean, he, during the war, when people hear his name, they will not wait. They will run. Because he was trigger freak. He will kill people at random. There was no law. There was no justice. Nothing will come out of it. But for me, when I started seeing these guys, they would surround the house like this, with people inside of the house, families. And they would set the house on fire. And they would stand outside with AK-47. If you escape the fire, you will not escape the God. And while they are doing it, they are shouting, Allah Wakbar. Allah, that means God is great. God is great. How can you be killing people? And you say God is great. So I came out openly and said, the God that I know is a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a merciful God. You can't be killing the name of God and you say he's great. So that message was very unpopular. So they did not like me because of that. And they started chasing me around, looking for me. I was hiding from one place to another until finally I was arrested one day. They tied me in such a way that my hands could touch the back of my neck. And my chest was protruding like this. 
I mean, I'm telling you, up to now, I carry the pain in this hand. I was in that state, and this guy, he had a pistol in his hands, and his boys had AK-47. They were just waiting for command to shoot. As far as I was concerned, I told God, I said, God, if this is my time to come, I'm ready. But please, God, give me the boldness, the courage to talk to this man so that I would die with one more person for you. And let it be this commander. That was my prayer. Then I lifted my head. I said, commander, please, before you shoot me, I want you to give me a few minutes so that I will talk to you. He said, go ahead and talk. You're already a dead man anyway. But go ahead and talk any nonsense. I said, commander, please, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. I said, because commander, right there, if you shoot me here, there are angels waiting to take me to heaven. But if you die in this state, commander, you will not go to heaven. I said, but if you do me this one favor, if you accept Jesus right now as your Lord and personal Savior, and then you turn around and shoot me, I said, Jesus will still forgive you. And when I die and you die, both of us will make it to heaven. I said, commander, Jesus loves you. His hands are widely open waiting to receive you. You know why I was saying this? I was not even feeling the pain any longer. I was talking to the man as if I was a normal person, forgetting I was tied up. You know, while I was talking to commander, his pistol was like pointed like, like this, right on me. While I was talking, I saw the pistol drop like this in his hands. When I finished, he looked at me. He looked at me and he told his boys, untie this man, untie him, let him go. Something is wrong with his head. He's not a normal man. So that's how they untied me. I thought they would shoot me from the back. And he let me go. But a few weeks down the road, this commander came looking for me. I was in my head out. He came. My wife was inside. I mean, outside cooking. And he came with his boys with a pickup van. <clears throat> they asked my wife, where's your husband? My wife said, he's not around. I was inside. She was trying to, you know, just to protect me. But I was also afraid that if I don't come out, you know, commander may harm my wife. So I stepped out. I said, commander, what's the problem? He said, I want to talk to you. So we went and we stood under the mango tree. And commander said, do you know that the way you spoke to me that day, nobody has ever spoken to me that way. <clears throat> he said, I go to bed, I don't sleep. I keep on hearing your voice. That's why I've been looking for you. Can we be friends? <laughs> I said, yes, commander. So that's how we became friends. A few months on the road, because you cannot become a friend to me. I am very highly contagious. <laughs> but I carry a very good virus. <laughs> I carry the Jesus virus. <laughs> so I was able to reach out to commander, tell him the story of Jesus. Commander accepted Jesus, and he was baptized in the river Sewa. Mm. Some of his boys were baptized. And few of them are my missionaries today. Commander is still alive. He's part of the movement. Now, who can do that except God? Except God. So what I'm saying is that when we pray and we fast, we submit to God. We thank God. You take total and absolute control. We, we bring the flesh under so that God will control it. Then, because he said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And our prayer and fasting, we are lifting God up. 
and he will do the rest in our nations, in our families, in our ministry. So prayer and fasting is such an important. That's why, you know, I speak around, people say, should I get what? I say, start, it starts from prayer and fasting. Pray. It can be two hours. It can be three hours. Maybe just starting. You start small to end big. Don't ever start big to end small. Start small. Three hours of prayer or fasting. Ten minutes of prayer per day. Then you move it to 15 minutes. Gradually you move it to 20 minutes. To 40 minutes. With time it becomes your culture. You can do it. You not, you, I mean you can even do it while you are driving. I call it power prayers. You are driving, you are praying. You are walking, you are praying. You know, it just becomes part of your DNA. That is power. And you can coach other people. You can coach family members. You can coach disciples to do the same. That they can pray 10, 15 times. Father, we thank you. You are great. Father, we pray for movement. We pray for disciples in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. There are times you don't need to say a word. You groan in prayer. You just groan in prayer. Nobody knows you are praying. We coach people to do prayer work in communities. They do prayer work. And we rename the streets. This street shall be called a street of salvation. This city will be called a city of redemption. We rename the street so that those principalities and powers will be submitted to God. We've done it in many areas. And we have seen God move. While we are praying, while we are fasting, we have done a lot of prayer work in cities. We go to important places and we just stand there or maybe lean on that building. Nobody knows and we are praying. We are praying. Nobody would know. We don't need to do any violence. We don't want anybody to know. We are praying. God move in a new way here. While we are fasting. Mm -hmm. You know, we... we we, this year, we did a 90 days of fasting. We started January 11th, and we ended in April, April 11th. All we're doing is, it's all about us. It's all about him. Submitting partners, submitting people who are helping us, submitting their family. God wants you to move to the 10th generation. There are times we pray to the 10th generation because that's the promise of God in the word of God. Currently, we have, we said to God, God, Please, I am currently praying with all what you've done, God. I'm still praying, Father, that at least before you finally take me from this planet, we want one billion souls and above, one billion lost people to come to you and above. So we are praying right now and fasting for one billion souls. <clears throat> with God, all things are possible. Yes. He's the impossibility specialist. <laughs> He's the only one who went to the School of Impossibilities, to the University of Impossibilities, and studied in the Department of Impossibilities, and graduated with degrees in Impossibilities. So what man cannot do, he can do. Amen. I want to say this. A.W. Tozer said about the North American church, I think roughly 50 years ago, he said, if God were to take his presence, the Holy Spirit, from the North American church, 90% of what happens would continue to happen, and nobody would know the difference. If God were to take the Holy Spirit from the early church or the church in Sierra Leone, 90% of what would happen, what was happening would cease to happen immediately and everybody would know the difference. Let's be the second church and not the first. Let's depend upon God in a radical way 
and see him do things that we can't even ask or imagine yet. Shadonke, thank you for inspiring us and sharing us and also giving us so much practical stuff. Would you thank Shadonke with me? My gosh, that was incredible. I, I know that you walked away with a lot of really encouraging information and a lot of really practical tips. And I hope that you, like me, are thinking, how can I make my schedule to incorporate more prayer? What can I do? Can I, like, like Shadonke said, take more walks and pray? Can I pray in drives instead of listening to the podcast? Just make time for prayer. I loved his story of sharing the gospel with the people in that village that were cutting themselves and doing these uh, extreme things. It convicted me because I'm like, man, sometimes I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid to share the gospel with people in America because I'm like, what are they going to think? How are they going to respond? Are they going to think that I'm a bigot? Are they going to push me away as, as a friend? And Shinanke is literally standing there being like, Lord, that's who you want me to share the gospel with? Okay, I'll do it. And he does it, and God performs miracles when he's obedient like that. And I love the encouragement that Shinanke gives us to go back to the elementary school of depending on the Holy Spirit. Say, I can do nothing apart from you, God, and God will go ahead of you. Let's take those first baby steps again of depending on the Holy Spirit. I'm in. Are you in? I'm pumped after that episode. Next up, we got more from Renew.org, so make sure you stay tuned. Hit subscribe so that you know when I release the next one. All right, y'all. Have a great day.